Hi, welcome to season three of the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is chat number 21, curiosity, listening, question asking, storytelling, lifelong learning, Eric Fromm, Plato, Rick Warren, Sam Gamgee, and more are part of today's discussion. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Thank you, Candy, for that kind introduction. This is Lee. And this is Dave. And welcome to our various audiences, our present-day audience, our audiences in years, decades, centuries from now. Hey, Dave, how about our AI audience? Yeah, our AI audience and our alien audience. And that includes both the present-day AI and the future. And alien audience and the future yeah. AI and alien yeah. audience, yes. So we're glad to have you listening. Uh, thanks for joining us again today. And is our custom in beginning these discussions, we would have you reflect on these two questions. What are your ideals and what are your pictures? All right. And Lee, today we're going to focus quite a bit on some of our life tools, as we call them. And what we have in store today is some conversation around curiosity, question asking, listening, and storytelling, hmm. all of which can lead to lifelong learning. We're going to use a lot of quotes mm -hmm. and have the opportunity to just reflect on those briefly and then move on to other things. But it's kind of one of those where if you want to sit down and pour yourself a cup of coffee and a cup of tea or yes. anything like that, pour, get a cuppa. A cuppa. Get a cuppa. Feel yes. free to go do that and use this as a time to reflect as we take a little journey here over the next 45 minutes or so. I think that's great guidance. Uh, let this be a contemplative, reflective time for you to take in some new information and consider it. So let's begin with the very important topic of curiosity. Mm. And we're going to begin this discussion with a quotation from Alan Watts, a noted English writer who wrote, by replacing fear of the unknown with curiosity, we open ourselves up to an infinite stream of possibility. We can let fear rule our lives, or we can become childlike with curiosity, pushing our boundaries, leaping out of our comfort zones, and accepting what life puts before us. Hmm. Fear and curiosity. We'll see some other places, I think, where that topic comes up, where you're at that moment, you could be curious, mm -hmm. you could be start the process mm -hmm. of learning, mm -hmm. Or showing interest or using, again, the life tool. And fear is the thing that holds us back. Yep. Yeah, one of the things in my uh, commercial life, one of the things that became the most important factor for me in looking at people to hire was curiosity. Mm -hmm. If someone has curiosity, you know, has, has an interest in the thing that we're working on, the possibilities are kind of limitless. Correct. For development and their capability to do things. It's a key yeah. indicator of their ability to learn and yeah. their willingness and desire to learn. Yeah. Uh, here's another quote about curiosity from poet Walt Whitman. And this is a long one. It's four words. <laughs> he says, be curious, not judgmental. Hmm. Be curious, not judgmental. So fear is a thing that lots of times keeps us from starting to be curious. Yes. Judgment, then at the other end of it, is the thing that can just cut off curiosity continuing. Yes. I've gone and learned a little bit. I'm ready to make a judgment. Yes. 
and stop the learning process, stop the question asking process, stop all of that. I've learned what I needed to learn from that yeah. for, for good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm judging that I'm t- ready to move on. And I think as we've talked before, there's always times where we have to make decisions or do something and we may not have learned everything about something, you know, at that point in time. So judgment doesn't mean that that you can't go make a decision before you know everything and yes. less curiosity because yes. that's not realistic. But it does say at the point in time that you're just shutting off knowledge going forward, that can be a problem. Yeah, that's stunting your growth, if you will. Yep. So it all starts with curiosity, or as we have spoken about in previous podcasts, jumping from the first simple of ignorance or what we might call static knowledge, and we jump into the complex of research and learning. Here's a quotation to illustrate this dynamic from Alvin Toffler. You may recognize the name, uh, author of Future Shock, who wrote, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and then relearn. Ah, that's that's a pause for reflection. (laughs) I love that. Learn unlearn, which is to suspend judgment, and then relearn, which is to re-engage curiosity. It's very interesting in a time like this where we are learning so much so fast as a society, and at the same time we're having disinformation chunked at us like crazy. Yes. And I think one of the things here, it's not just about the process of, of being able to unlearn what you thought was the truth or what you thought was accurate to redo it. But the speed of everything Mm -hmm. is so fast that if you're not in that habit of here's what I know at the moment, things are going to happen that are either active things I'm learning or I'm going to find out something that I thought was wrong. Yes. As disinformation, what he's referring to, I think, is just the speed of that. Mm -hmm. It has to happen fast and it has to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's move on now to question asking. Ah, another tool that goes hand in hand with curiosity. Hope you're enjoying your coffee or your tea or your libation, whatever that (laughs) may be. (laughs) So here's a quote from Indira Gandhi, former premier of India. The power to question is the basis of all human progress. Wow. The power to question is the basis of all progress. Interesting. So what is the value in asking why? before making a judgment. For example, is it good or bad, right or wrong, should I do it or not? What is the value in asking why, or why something, someone, some event, some issue, or yourself, why did this happen? Why is that the way it is? Why do they think or feel this way, etc.? I once had a business mentor in my commercial profession mm-hmm. who said the questions are always more important than the answers to those questions. And when he first instructed me in that fashion, I went, that's absurd. The right. answers are what we're seeking, right? right? Wow, was that a powerful lesson that I've carried with, with me for years now? If you can come up with the best questions, so to speak, you'll learn more. And we'll be talking later on in this podcast about understanding. We'll, we'll talk about that word, understanding. And this quote here, before we get into that part, you know, makes me go, is there any way to really understand something or someone without asking why questions. I I don't think so. I don't believe it's possible. I mean, you can carefully observe, which would give you some information, mm-hmm. but not the entirety of the information. Right. right. So in the point of insight, understanding, or potential influence, 
contained within the answers to why questions. So isn't this particularly important when something or someone or an event or an issue makes us angry or upset or mad or stressed out or frustrated? Isn't that when our calm and critical thinking can go off the rails? I've never seen that it's possible to do (laughs) good critical thinking, good imaginative thinking. When you're in an agitated state? Yeah. When you're angry, upset, mad, or stressed, or frustrated. You can't do it. I just don't believe it. Yeah. You know, if somebody says they can, I don't buy that that's your best critical thinking. Yes. There's something better that you could do. Yes. So we've talked now about curiosity, question asking. Let's move on to listening. Listening, author Eric Fromm argues, is, quote, an art like the understanding of poetry. Hmm. And like any art, has its own rules and norms. Drawing on his half-century practice as a therapist, Fromm offers six such guidelines for mastering the art of unselfish understanding. The first one, he says, is the basic rule for practicing this art is the complete concentration of the listener. Lead lots of times uh, in our practice and, and again in, in jobs and companies these days, the idea of we need to actively listen. Mm-hmm. is taught quite a bit. And it's yes. it's a wonderful art to teach. It is. And it talks about being able to really listen to what somebody is saying and either take you know speak that back to them or to ask questions that show listening to where trust gets created, et cetera, et cetera. To me, I, I increasingly like the phrase active listening, but also deep listening. Deep listening. Because there are some conversations that people need to have with one another that aren't the kind of bounce back and forth of active listening thing. They are listening. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love his phrase of complete concentration. Mm -hmm. And how often do we do that? I don't do that nearly enough. Let me insert here. I read some, what I'll characterize as preliminary research findings a few weeks ago. And I think it's relevant here in this concept of active listening, deep listening. It was how many thoughtful discussions do people participate in on a daily basis? And there were five or six elements of what constitutes the thoughtful discussion. Mm. And you know what the findings were? Again, preliminary, not conclusive research. We're lucky to have two or three thoughtful discussions a day. Thoughtful discussions don't have to be an hour long. They can be 30 seconds in length, as long as they have the elements of respectful, deep listening, setting perceptions aside, trying to seek mutual understanding. All of those elements have to be in place. And think about how we deprive ourselves of understanding if we're only engaging in two, maybe three thoughtful discussions on a daily basis. And I would suspect some of you as listeners are going, I'm not sure that we average two or three. Yeah, probably not. It might be a day where all I'm doing is firefighting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to check off all my to-dos. Moving from the next one thing to the next, and that's kind of it. Yep. Okay. Fromm's number two is nothing of importance must be on his mind or her mind. They must be optimally free from anxiety Hmm. as well as from greed. Now, isn't that an interesting term? Greed. 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 I think... He's using it as a substitute or surrogate for selfishness, but there's an additional depth to greed. I'm only listening to you to see what I can get out of it. Yeah. That's the only reason we're having an exchange Yeah, is there is something that I want or something that I'm trying to get. And 
and exchange with you is the means to that. Right. That is not listening, he would say. I think it's appropriate now to ask our listening audience, are you really listening to are us you right listening? now? Are you listening free from <laughs> greed? <laughs> All right, let's continue with Eric Fromm's list of six dynamics. Number three, uh, he or she must possess a freely working imagination, which is sufficiently concrete to be expressed in words. Hmm. A freely working imagination. Okay, unencumbered, judgment set aside. Number four, he or she must be endowed with a capacity for empathy with another person and strong enough to feel the experience of the other as if it were his own. Oh, we, we deal with that first part of that phrase a lot. You know, we need to have empathy. Yes. We need to have empathy. Right. Again, in all sorts of training contexts mm-hmm. and books we read, you know, empathy's a, a big buzzword now. Must be endowed with the capacity for empathy. That second part. Yeah. Strong enough to feel, feel. the experience of the other as if it were their own. Mm-hmm. That's raising the bar. It is. I would argue that we cannot achieve the second half of that if we're not deeply listening. Deeply listening. Yeah. Okay. Number five here. The condition for such empathy is a crucial facet of the capacity for love. Hmm. Oh, boy, we got to listen in order to To love. love. Damn you, Eric Fromm. Yeah. To understand another, Fromm says, means to love them. Here's that word, understand. To understand another means to love them. Not in the erotic sense, but in the sense of reaching out to them and of overcoming the fear of losing oneself. Fear of losing oneself. I think just a few minutes ago, we talked about how fear doesn't play nicely with curiosity. Here it comes back to us again in the context of listening. I'm afraid to go all the way with really listening to you, Mm -hmm. really getting, and we lots of times we step in somebody else's shoes. Mm -hmm. This is taking that to another level. Yes, it is. And saying, we can't really understand someone. We can't really love someone if we don't have the capability to reach out and then overcome the fear of completely immersing ourselves in them. Yes. And what they may be experiencing. Yeah. Number six, here's, here's the kicker, the kind of the summary here, understanding and loving are inseparable. If they are separate, it is just a cerebral process and the door to essential understanding remains closed. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yeah. Let that one sit for a moment. Understanding and loving are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. All right. In the remainder of the art of listening, Frome goes on to detail the techniques, dynamics, and mindsets that make for an optimal listening relationship in therapy and in life. Now, let's insert here a quotation from uh, perhaps someone you've heard of, Plato, Hmm. written centuries ago. That guy. Quote, to truly know someone, one must go beyond surface interactions and engage in deep, meaningful conversations that reveal their true nature. One of the reasons Lee and I use a lot of quotes, uh, one one of many reasons, but one is lots of times to pull through quotes from centuries ago, yes. millennia ago, yeah. where people are going, hey, this is the deal. Yes, it's simple. This is the deal. Mm-hmm. 
and we have to keep repeating here we are millennia later these things mm-hmm. over and over and it's like when will we get, get it, it. <laughs> when, will, when will we get it you know and so plato's quote much like Fromm's uh, conversation really asks some questions though in response to that it can be very easy for us to go do we have the time for this though to lee's point of research saying we maybe do that to and two or three times a day and somebody may be going, that's all we have time for. Yeah. Life is too busy. Yes. And it's like, we better have the time for that. Mm-hmm. We better make the time for that. There's a, uh, an article that we've referred to again, uh, in Pat in past podcasts where people have talked about the regrets of life that you have at the end of life. And one of the three regrets that are very prominent is that I wish I had loved more. Yes. And if you want to substitute those words, you could say, I wish I had understood more. Mm -hmm. I wish I had listened Listened more. more. So things to ponder as we're all drinking our coffee and tea and libation. Lee and I have coffee here, by the way. We won't disclose what's in it. (laughs) It's in the morning, so not much. (laughs) (laughs) I was referring to sugar. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've talked about curiosity question asking and listening. Let's move on to the power of storytelling. Uh, There's a young gentleman I know who's a son of a very dear friend of mine, and he is very involved in improvisation. It's one of his hobbies, things he does. He's Mm -hmm. in improvisation classes and does that. And he had a quote. He said something to me at one point uh, where I was asking questions. I was curious. I asked him questions about improvisation. I was <laughs> and interested. you listened to his responses. I was interested. I listened to it and I wrote it down. And I said, "What is improvisation? I mean, how do you think of it, or what is it about?" And he said, "What you say and do in improvisation is a gift to the other person. Hmm. So literally, as you are having an exchange in improv, and hmm. some of you all may have heard this before. I know this. It was an eye opener to me." The key is you're playing off of each other, but you're deeply listening to the gift that the person is giving you, mm-hmm. and then you are then putting together a gift to give back yes. to the person. And it just is the most beautiful way of describing this exchange that it doesn't start with a, a specific thing. Mm-hmm. It's merely about that skill set. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I'm kind of going, gee, maybe that needs to be in our picture for education yes so here's a trick that anyone who knows anything about improv has heard about i use it pretty frequently and that is to train ourselves condition ourselves educate ourselves to get rid of the phrase yeah but and use yes and improv artists know how to use yes and so i saw a pink penguin rocking down the street yes and the penguin had a blue umbrella in his hand and they go off onto a new topic love it yes and promotes curiosity love it and it's gift giving it's it's abundance it's not limiting it's not judgment it's not fear. Right. It's continuing on with all of those things. Yeah. So Professor Robert McKee has said that storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world. And if when you heard Candy's wonderful intro and you heard the name Sam Gamgee and you went, how in the heck is a character from Lord of the Rings going to enter into this conversation? Well, here's how. It's right now. So here's a little speech that Sam made in the, the movie The Two Towers. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, 
the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was before so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine ever the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that mean something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there is some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Stories matter. They make a difference. We remember them. If you will, it was the original method of teaching, instruction, and learning way mm-hmm. back in the day. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a new learning for us. What do we do when the light bulb finally goes on? When we actually have a new revelation. Wow. And this is around the skill or tool of lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here is an interesting example of lifelong learning from a column by Rick Warren, written in June of 2023. The title of it is My Apology to Christian Women. Well, Rick Warren is an American Baptist evangelical Christian pastor and author, the founder of Saddleback Church, an evangelical Baptist megachurch that's the largest church in California and one of the largest in the United States. In June of 2023, during the annual Southern Baptist Convention, after Saddleback Church was excommunicated from the convention for hiring a female pastor, Warren championed the ordination of women. So Warren gave the invocation or prayer at Barack Obama's initial inauguration. At the time, that was somewhat of a controversial choice. He's very well-known, popular evangelical pastor, but the fact that Obama picked an evangelical pastor to do that was somewhat controversial. So Rick Warren says, My biggest regret in 53 years of ministry is that I didn't do my own personal critical explanation or interpretation of a text sooner on the four passages that are used to restrict women. Shame on me. I wasted those four years of Greek in college and seminary when I finally did my proper due diligence, laying aside 50 years of bias, I was shocked, chagrined, and embarrassed. So many rules about how to interpret Scripture or the Bible were being violated, including never build a doctrine on a single word that is used only once in Scripture. There's nothing to compare it to, no correlation. Do your own study in ancient Greek, and you'll be shocked too. Hmm. Sounds like we have some lifelong learning going on here from Sounds a guy like 53 years in the ministry. And some curiosity yes. and question asking yep. that finally took hold. And overcoming fear probably to go, oh my God, I've believed this for all of these decades and Uh-oh. now I may have been mis... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he continues, I think maybe it was because I didn't want to know anything that might challenge the view I wanted to believe in for 50 years. But eventually, integrity required that I read over 70 commentaries about the Bible. Scholars blew apart my comfortable, traditional, and culture-based interpretation. No seminary told me that those commentaries even existed, and Baptist bookstores refused to carry them. He says, parenthetically, that his mother 
managed a Baptist bookstore. So I accepted the interpretation that was most comfortable for me as a man with my background. Then, reading more than 100 books on the early church and the history of the Great Commission demanded my repentance. That journey was both painful and humbling. I don't expect to win in New Orleans. That was a reference to the convention. And I certainly don't expect to change the mind of any angry fundamentalist. They are responsible to God, not to me. I'm doing this as an act of obedience to the Holy Spirit. He continues, but I do want to do this. I publicly apologize to every good woman in my life, church, and ministry that I failed to speak up for in my years of ignorance. What grieves me is that I hindered them in obeying the great commissioned command that everyone is to teach in the church. I held them back from using the spiritual gifts and leadership skills that the Holy Spirit had sovereignly placed in them. That breaks my heart now, and I am truly repentant and sorry for my sin. I wish I could do it all over. Christian women, will you please forgive me? Regardless of attacks and the vote result at this convention, I want a clear conscience before my master that I repented and that this sinner did what he asked me to do. With that, I am completely content to let him be the judge and evaluator of my life and ministry. We must live for an audience of, of one. one. Wow. Uh, well, there's so much here that links to what we've discussed in this podcast, right? Yeah. Curiosity. Hey, I'm going to go read more than 100 books yeah. about what the scriptural interpretation are. Or the are. stuff that was directed to me. Yeah. To adopt a certain point of view. Right. I'm going to go outside of that. Yeah. And then he had to overcome his fear of possibly having a misplaced opinion or perspective. Yeah. And he did so. And guess what? He's learned, right? Yeah. As a lifelong learner, he has a new perspective. As you said several minutes ago, information comes at us so rapidly. Yeah. We think we, quote, know something. Yeah. There's new information, new conditions, new circumstances that cause us to, wait a minute, I thought I knew that yesterday. I guess I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is playing out on a grand stage. You can see curiosity, question asking, listening. Yes. You can see that he went back and no doubt replayed all sorts of conversations and things where he didn't really listen. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I hear in this. Yeah, I think I, so as well. He, had he ever gotten alternate points of view mm-hmm. along the way? I think he's acknowledging that he had. Mm-hmm. He ignored them mm-hmm. or dismissed them right, because of prior beliefs. And I'll tell you, the courage to go do what he did here, bravo. Absolutely. I mean, just bravo. And we're lifting this up as an example of somebody who's a very public figure going back and really reversing very public positions that they had taken mm-hmm. and going all this time, I, I wasn't in the right place yes. and I, I want to be in the right place now. Mm-hmm. This is all we have is now, now. Yeah. You know, and I, I just can't applaud him enough for this act. Pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Agreed. Well, what you described there, Dave sets up this next quotation, I think beautifully. And this is from our old friend, Aristotle who said, there's only one way to avoid criticism. Mm. Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. So going back to Rick Warren, think of the criticism that was generated at him by his repentance. But guess what? If he had never said anything or done anything, he would have never been anything. So reversing Aries' point here, 
Secondly, if you want to do something or say something or be something, you're going to get criticized. Yes. Yeah. And are we all comfortable with that? Mm Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not what any of us would just go pick. No. Aristotle's going, yeah. have your seatbelt on. It comes with the territory. It comes with the territory. If you're going to say something, stand up, be something, or do something, be active. Somebody's going to criticize get, it. Get ready. Yeah. Okay, there's a wonderful quote as well about learning and loving from Arthur C. Clarke, the famous science fiction writer, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and others. He says, in my life I have found... Two things of priceless worth, learning and loving. Nothing else, not fame, not power, not achievement for its own sake, can possibly have the same lasting value. For when your life is over, if you can say, I have learned and I have loved, you will be also be able to say, I have been happy. And it's interesting in all of this, as we started talking about curiosity and question asking and storytelling and listening, how love keeps creeping into that, isn't it? Yes. It's an integral part of it. Yeah. Beautiful. So another quotation from a professional speaker known as Rich Wilkins. Perhaps you've heard of Mr. Wilkins who stated, your future is only as bright as your mind is open. Your future is only as bright as your mind is open. If you're going around thinking, I've got it all figured out. I know that the answers, I'm done learning. I don't need to learn no more. That's, not, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're stunting your own intellectual and spiritual growth. At a, at a minimum, while you're sitting there trying to keep your feet planted in the same place and saying, there's no way I'm going to move. The I'm just, world is speeding by. The world is speeding by. Yeah. And the world under your feet is changing. You're living an illusion. Yeah that you can get by or be happy or succeed or fulfilled without learning. Mm-hmm. And as we said before, unlearning mm-hmm. and relearning. And relearning. <laughs> A wonderful quote here from the inventor of the electric starter for cars, Charles Kettering. We like this one. He said, my interest is in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my, my life, life there. there. <laughs> I like that. Simple wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Past is gone. It's gone. I mean, I've learned what I could from the past. Yeah. But what's the next horizon or opportunity for learning? Yeah. The future. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. right here, right now. Yeah. Dave, you ever hear of a guy named Albert Einstein? Ah, one of our faves. Albert said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created those problems. <laughs> Gosh, uh, again, don't, don't we try to do that? Simple wisdom, you but know, very profound. We have a problem. We created it. Let's try to fix it. Using the the same same thought processes. (laughs) Yeah. How often do we actually do that? Sometimes colloquial known as the uh, definition of insanity. Oh, man. So anyway, any conversation, debate, discussion, or exploration that we believe is not based on, at its core, discovering facts. And we're going to say the one truth. We'll explain that here in a minute. And then determining where we go from there based on the facts and the truth. Those conversations, debates, discussions, and explorations should come to a full stop. Nothing's going to get learned. Nothing's going to get gained. They're not going to go anywhere. When we say one truth, we're saying those, those situations where there is truly one truth about something, there is a fact about something, there, is, there are facts about what exactly happened in an event, there are facts that happen. 
That's not to say one perspective. Right. Okay, so we have right. we have a layer here that is the truth about things, and we need to understand what that is. Then our perspectives about that one truth and what that means is very personal. Mm-hmm. And we get value out of different perspectives coming out from us collectively looking at that one truth. At a central truth. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, how about another quotation to contextualize this from the great French scientist uh, Marie Curie? who wrote, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. I think she was listening to this podcast in the past. She was. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Understand more to fear less. Not understand more to become more afraid, which is how frequently we think about these things. Are we getting, to me, this going through the lifelong learning process, and again, curiosity, question asking, listening, storytelling, and fear, and understand, and love Yeah, just keep coming up. Yes. Yeah. And Marie, of course, the only person to ever win two Nobel Prizes in distinct, distinctly different fields. Great words. So, we live in very contentious times. How do we talk about and work through difficult issues here in this time of contention, here in this time of disinformation mm-hmm. floating around all over the place. How, mm-hmm. how might we do that? Well, we've got a thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked a lot about ideals and ideal-based leadership. What does ideal-based leadership tell us about dealing with difficult issues, things we don't agree on, or resolving conflicts? How do we have hard conversations with others who may have different ideals or different core key beliefs. Well, we think maybe it could go like this. As much as possible, we try to agree to stay on a factual, truthful basis. So that layer we were talking about Mm -hmm. before, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about what happened in an event or things that really can be verified Mm -hmm. as facts, we go do that together. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's this. Well, I thought that happened. Well, let's stop. Let's go look it up. Right. Let's get multiple sources. Mm -hmm. As much as possible together, let's go find that out. If we find ourselves in Rick Warren's position and we go out and find out, oh, I thought that, but eh, the other guy was right, Mm -hmm. or we change our minds. Yes. We're just looking at the future. We're just going forward. We're where we are. It's okay. And then perspectives that we have then based on those facts may be different. But we have to try to stay on that layer of factual and true as much as possible. And there's no point in proceeding further if we don't agree to go do that. Right. The deal where we would, uh, you and I just basically disagree, Lee, on the first facts about something. And one or both of us has no interest in going out and trying to verify what actually happened. There's no point in us talking more. No. And, and this is the showstopper on so many conversations. So many conversations. We won't even go look to find out what the truth is about something. Let me illustrate this, if I may. So I use the following illustration that I'm about to describe in a lot of training that I do, corporate mm-hmm. training that I do. And it's really within the context of conflict resolution. Okay? I hold up my iPhone to the audience in the classroom, and I say, what is this? People go, it's your phone. And I have a plant in advance and I say, hey, Sally, when I ask this question, would you say toaster oven? So we have a room full of 20 people, 19 of whom go, well, it's your phone. And the 20th person goes, oh, it looks like a toaster oven to me. That's silly, right? But you know what it means? 
we can disagree and exchange perspectives from that point forward and it's meaningless, it's irrelevant because we didn't come to the central truth about what the object was. Bingo. So that shouldn't be kind of an eye-opener for a lot of people, but it is. And after we go through that silly little exercise, people begin telling business stories about, well, yeah, I'm on this project team and we've been chasing the same issue around the same circle for the last 15 meetings. It's because one of us thinks it's a toaster oven. And if we all can gain agreement, at least, that it is a phone, then the questions of, well, what is the significance of it being a phone? Yes. What do I think a phone is right. for? Then we can go all over the, all place, over the place with our subjective. I've, I furthered the conversation by saying it's in a black case. And someone might say, well, I think it'd be neat if it was in a blue case. Okay. That's okay to talk about because yeah. we have a mutual understanding and a mutual agreement that it's a phone. Yeah. Now we can discuss and debate and describe and argue and disagree. So if we think we've gotten to, again, some kind of basic agreement on... I call it a central truth. A central truth, the facts are about something. We're offering up this next thought as a next step. So offer the three big ideals as your key life beliefs, or whatever your ideals are when you are asked. Listen to the other person's ideals or key beliefs. Oh, there's that L word, listen. So Lee, you and I have agreed that it's a phone. Yeah. Or you and I have agreed on what the facts were about what happened January 6th. Yes. Of 2021 mm -hmm. or things like that that are points of contention. And we say after that, once you've at least gotten to facts, not interpretations of what they mean or who was right or who was wrong, just what happened, happened. then you would go, now as I am looking at this, I'm going to be looking at it through the ideals, the eyes of my ideals. Yes. So Lee and I would say, we're going to be looking at that through the idea of the eyes of it's good to help each other. Mm -hmm. It's good to love one another. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all connected to each other. Yes. Uh, we're all the same in some ways, but we're each very, very unique. That's the lens through which I'll be looking at something after we've agreed on it. And we're going to say, what's yours? So it, before we even start talking about the perspective, what's the lens through which you're looking at this? Yes. And we have that, under, that understanding, mm -hmm. right? That understanding word. We listen and we connect on that. Okay? Yeah. Great observation. So share your stories and perspectives that help shape your key beliefs and then listen to the stories and perspectives that shape the beliefs of others. Okay. Much as Dave just described, identify common ground where it truly exists. And in this way, we can move forward together, at least to some degree. Then seek to further understand the true and real differences as much as possible. That's it. It's simple, but it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because we have to ask, we have to listen, we have to deeply listen. We have to be willing to set aside our fears that we might learn something new that may dissuade beliefs that we've held for a long time. And let's, let's say that we uh, have a conversation with somebody who our sense has been that we really disagree with them on issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we may get to that point of talking about ideals and I may bring up loving each other and helping each other. And somebody might say, well, those are, those are kind of mine too. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. Well, what, what do those mean to you? What mm -hmm. do you, and I would kind of say, well, let, let me go deeper on that. Yeah, you know, I believe as much as possible getting and receiving help that happens every day. You know, I believe uh, part of loving other people and helping each other is 
as a human society, we create a certain safety net. Mm-hmm. We don't allow people to go hungry. We don't Somebody may go, well, I don't think that's really the loving thing to do. I think we're kind of each here on our own. And to do too much help for people is limiting, you know, self, self-reliance. Or yeah. I, I'd love to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's talk through that. Yeah. So it so any of these steps along the way again, you just recycle. Listening. Ah, something came up. Ah, start the cycle again. Yes. Question asking. Mm-hmm. Listening. Oh, curiosity. I've learned something new. I've learned oh. something new. They're listening to you. And so we think within just our ability actually to move forward individually and as a society, the skills that we've talked about here today over a cup of coffee or tea or libation. They're, they're the key to it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Think of it as a virtuous cycle that's unending. So we close as is our custom with a moment of optimism, momentum, and gratitude. We say, thank you for curiosity. Thank you. Thank you for the ability to ask questions. Thanks for the ability to listen. Thanks for storytelling. And thank you for how all of those lead us to the miraculous open door to lifelong learning. So in closing, what are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? What is your influence to use? Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams the day of your pictures.